Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Surprised you piece of shit. Um, so, good speed to stop Mason running off because at this point, Mason's like, I, I don't want to die on this rock, I'm going. And he says, Look, I'll level with you. There's chemical weapon, weapons, and he's going to drop them on San Francisco and kill thousands of people, including your daughter and my girlfriend, who is pregnant, by the way. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem to be that. He doesn't seem to immediately be that moved by this, though. Um, He's more annoyed about Womack keeping secrets from him. That son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and there's also... Um, I think they're trying to set up that uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, they've got something in common and mm. they're going to come together. But that's kind of underlined by the fact that they really do not have anything in common at all. No. Their interests aren't even the same. They don't even actually... Like, one of them literally just wants to get off the rock and go away. He doesn't give a shit, really. Mm. Um, but maybe the fact that they both have... Uh, vaguely similar looking uh, female uh, characters in their lives who are going to be in the vicinity of where the VX gas is going to land. Maybe that's the that's all that they had. I think that's what's bringing to them together. Humanity. Yeah, yeah. Our do- your daughter and my wife kind of look the same. Fiance, oh. rather. Yeah, because he has agreed to marry her. Don't forget that's that. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I would uh, never forget that because of the pigtails. So naughty. Um, so Hummel at this point Hummel and his men find that there's a gun and a radio missing so there's clearly somebody else from that team still alive um, so they decide to drop a bomb in the tunnel and then some fire yeah, yeah that's another thing where you're like this that seemed like an overreaction slightly. Yeah. and also would that not that would put them in danger I mean they must know obviously that all the stuff that they've got there like it's made very clear that the stuff that they've got is very volatile. I mean, have we we haven't yet got to the part where they actually find the the casings and they take them out and they, they talk about them in the. I think they're in the morgue, maybe. In the is morgue, it? yeah. The, they're in the morgue, so that's that's mm. just after that bit, isn't it? It's um, just after the where... they, they they set the tunnels on fire, and as you say, uh, later on we do find out that one of the weapons is sitting above a grate that you can access <laughs> from the tunnel. So presumably, loads of fire shot out of that grate all over that weapon at some point. Which could have yeah. killed everybody on that island. But yeah. It's best not to think about these things. Please. No. But this is the bit where after the fire, they're going to go out to the morgue. And um, this is when Connery says to him, are you ready? And then Cage says, I'll do my best. 
And he says, you're abashed. Winners like, wine, no, he say losers whine about doing the abashed. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Yeah, to which he, that yeah, losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. First of all, I mean, <laughs> it's, is, that, is prom queen going to be in his lexicon as a Glaswegian SAS agent who's been in prison for 30 years? <laughs> no, what does he know about proms? Like, what are you talking about? You're talking like a 50s teenager, first of all. Secondly, um, amazing to that, that absurd statement is answered by Nicolas Cage saying, yeah, she was, she was the prom queen. Like, basically, like, yeah, 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 that's an absurd thing you said, but also, yeah, my fiance is really hot, so. And I then am. I think there we need a joke to polish it off, and Connery replies with, Really? Well, <laughs> that doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, it's, like, it's a bit of a placeholder text. Yeah. Um, and then you have them, they, he t- you get to see Stanley Goodsby doing some good sciencing. Yeah. Uh, he takes out the. Uh, well, they, they kill two guys first. He drops an air conditioning unit on one guy's Oh, head. that's really good. Actually, do you know what? Hmm. There is a very good bit of business here after yeah, this. So yes, you're is. right. I've, I've skipped over this where he they kill two guys. One yeah. guy is kind of like on the ground. And so, twitching. Uh, well, after these, they smash their air conditioning unit on his head, he's hmm. lying there and he's twitching. Hmm. And then Goodspeed does actually have that moment where he's like, uh, uh, you've seen a lot more dead bodies than I have. Uh, is that normal? Twitching? Yes. <laughs> this is a, it was a nicely understated also, bit of business. Also, there's that line there that sneaks out, which made me laugh a lot, where Cage walks over, sees that dead body, and goes, oh, that's the most awful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he's just in a different film. And then he also the, says, um, can you do something about that, please? But he says it in a way like, I'm trying to concentrate. And then Connery goes, like what, kill him again? Yeah, that's, see, I can imagine that being Tarantino. Yeah, uh, glass. I can actually imagine that. But again, so many of the scenes in this film seem like they are written by different people, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a good scene because then you get, as you say, good speed unpacking all the rockets and taking the guidance chips out, which means they'll, yeah. just, they'll just splash into the sea. That seemed to me as well. Like, is that really going to be okay? Then, mm. sure. I mean, I presume is there not another way you could have done it? But anyway. Uh, he then obviously has a famous moment where he pulls out the we go. sort of housing mm-hmm. and he says, uh, really elegant, uh, swing of pearls formation. And then he proceeds to talk about what it does to you. He does that great thing that they have in these kind of movies where someone asks you what something is and how it works. And what they do is they say, they give you an exact account of what would happen to your body mm-hmm. if this thing is doing what they want it to do so it's like you know uh, within five minutes your whole body is your brainstem separates and then you've choked in your own vomit and your skin is melted off um, now this obviously is a great moment of just action movie fluff mm-hmm. but it also has a much broader and stranger relevance to geopolitics six years down the line oh yes of course <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the really elegant string of pe- pearls configuration uh, mentioned, um, which is just an absolute bit of you know nonsensical mm. fabulation on the part of the screenwriters. Yeah. yeah, it was made up because actual uh, the chemical weapons are basically they're very boring. They're, they're machines. They've got like very clear liquid in tubes. If insofar as they have anything, but uh, one of the dodgy dossiers that was used as the pretense for the Iraq War, uh, the Chilcot Inquiry find out that basically one of the uh, sources claimed that so the VX and sarin gases that were held by Saddam Hussein were kept in hollow glass tubes arranged in that formation 
I don't know if they specified that they were green in colour. Maybe they left that bit out. But <laughs> basically every chemical weapons expert in the world at the time was like, this is fucking nonsense. What are you talking about? Mm. And at least one of those people, fun- who happens to be a chemical weapons expert, had luckily seen the rock and said, not only is this wrong, <laughs> this is from the rock. <laughs> and Which led then, once this was all released, I think in 2011 or 2012, it became public knowledge, to the actual, well, one of the credited screenwriters, for the rock having to weigh in and it's amazing because you it's one of those ones where uh the hollywood reporter read the report over the phone to the screenwriter he's like jesus christ what on earth is happening i can't believe they came up with this it was complete bullshit (laughs) um which is amazing because he's you know you actually hear what he how he reacted to it in real time um but adam curtis features it quite nicely in uh in hyper normalization yes uh it's it's really worth checking out, and it's also edited. It's gonna, edited better than yeah. uh, this the scene in in actual The Rock. I was going to say, yeah, the, the bit you sent me is much better edited. Um, but at this point, Eric Harris hears that the morgue team haven't checked in, so they go and investigate. Justice Goodspeed and Mason are leaving through a laundry chute. Yeah, and they find two dead men, and all the guidance ships have gone from the VX rockets. So they spot that the guidance ships are wrong, so they knew that they're or. I think they spot it, yeah, because that's what oh, they're looking I, for from then on. I must have missed that. Well, that's the th- I'm here complaining about how obvious everything in this movie, and I'm still missing things like that, because I wasn't sure if they didn't know. But this is where they go through the laundry chute and then land on a minecart that's tied to a rope. Yeah. And they go, as you say, 150 yards in a minecart. Okay. Oh, I got the I got the chronology wrong there. I thought that was earlier. Oh, no, um, it's now. So many things happening in this cavalcade of action. And they get chased by Tuco from Breaking Bad. Oh, is that really him? Mm. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, and uh, and him and his compadre, and also the guy from Scrubs, who's in, who was in, always in loads of stuff. John C. McGinley. My only yeah. fact about him is that he owns a string of restaurants with Willem Dafoe. No, really. Yeah, or at least one restaurant. Yeah. He's also the baddie in Highlander too, and it's probably the you know people often go on about Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending as being the worst. Yeah. Baddie. I think John C. McGinley is the baddie in Highlander Two. Is definitely up there it's one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life I haven't seen Highlander 2 and I also haven't seen Jupiter Ascending I've heard that it is worth watching just for Eddie Redmayne's performance alone yeah I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending I didn't fancy it because it looked really stupid but yeah I probably will at one point yeah it um, yeah I've my my tolerance for watching movies that are so bad they're supposedly good has has kind of waned as life has become slightly more short yeah no I agree yeah Uh, yeah here we are well, here we are talking about the rock. <laughs> <clears throat> so, after a long protracted chase, uh, they kill the baddies and get away. And this is they? well, they're not really because this is when Mason starts talking about how he'd rather be a poet or a farmer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thirty years in, inside is probably. I mean, he was spending thirty years inside reading philosophy books. Like whenever you first see him, it's Sun Tzu's Art of War. Uh, the complete works of Shakespeare, which is just so hack. It's mm. it's absolutely, mm. absolutely on the money. Uh, so, I mean, I can't imagine he's going to be able to go back to being an SAS agent. So, yeah, he's probably thinking about his, his retirement. But the good um, thing is, is that the way Nicolas Cage relax, uh, reacts to that news, he says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mason goes to see Hummel and um, on his way out, um, Goodspeed says to him what about Mr Anderson's head and that's where Connery turns around and gives a thumbs up <laughs> like it's the do end you, of the film yeah do you 
do you think that maybe there was another line there that he was reacting to? I think so, yeah. It doesn't make also, any sense. Uh, by the way, Nicholas Cage also made a point, I think, that uh, Sean Connery didn't do any of his own coverage. Oh, really? I mean. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't make a bad deal. Well, it was really good. Well, he, he went first, so I was able to see his performance, meaning that whenever Nicholas Cage, anytime Nicholas Cage was doing his lines, it was with a stand-in. Oh, wow. Yeah, so maybe a lot of picking and choosing was possible because they literally, they, whenever Sean Connery was not physically needed to be on uh, on screen, he, he wasn't. So anytime you just see the back of Sean Connery's head, it is not Sean Connery. Wow, that's interesting. But I think I kind of get that sense where when you're that old in the game and you're being hired for your name, then oh. you can just do that. I, I think a lot of actors are like that. I think Bruce Willis is, does that as well. Right. Just well, he's, he's never, he's not there in person either, is he, these days? <laughs> he's like this <laughs> he's sort not. of haunted mannequin. Yeah. Um, so Mason goes to see Hummel and then they have this conversation about that it's not combat and then he says uh, he says to him this is not combat it's an act of lunacy and if you want my opinion I think you're a fucking idiot <laughs> is that the exact quote? yeah <laughs> I mean I could well believe that he was just writing his own lines to be honest oh. at this point because yeah uh, and I think as well Ed Harris is giving that sort of uh, wounded nobility kind of performance mm. that's again that's at odds with everyone else in the film yeah. uh, he's just kind of he's kind of a chipped granite sort of right wing man who's just you know enough is enough kind of thing mm. sort of like a yeah the noble sort of renegade uh, guy uh, but I like that Sean Connery's just like fuck off you idiot mm. you're a prick yeah. same combat it's lunacy but Goodspeed is manages to get the chip out of another rocket and is then taken prisoner because he's needed alive and him and Connery are put into prison cells that's got an amazing bit then because uh, Nicolas Cage then goes completely native mm-hmm. and is just like sort of sing sort of sing song speaking yeah uh, like screaming down the things at one point he says what in the name of Zeus's butthole mm-hmm. uh, are we going to do uh, and meanwhile you've got the very nice sight of uh, Sean Connery who is capable of escaping from anywhere famously yeah. uh, but doing so through such torturously contrived means mm-hmm. where he has he able to, he is left with like some sort of a chain link yeah. in his room Mm-hmm. So, like in you know, in other lesser films, they they remove your bloody shoelaces so you can't hang yourself. In this, yeah. they leave massive forty foot lengths of chain <laughs> in your room. Though he just swings, somehow gets enough purchase, enough torque from like the tiny bit of moving uh, movement, the tiny angle he can get through the bars. Yeah. Swings it to a somehow a connected lever, mm-hmm. which operates all the different doors, mm. all of them of the complex. So, like the first time he tries it, the door beside him opens up. Uh, Nicholas Cage at this point is still ranting, so it's uh, it's a great bit of business on them. And I did try to spot and see if they were ever actually on in the same place at the same time, because part of me likes to imagine that Sean Connery wanted to make this film entirely on his own with no one else present. Yeah, and then go and play golf. <laughs> and then just play go golf. Yeah. So in the mean, the meanwhile, though, there's only a few more. There's only a few minutes till the demands are up, so they decide that they're going to launch a missile to get the government to pay, because the government then asks for another hour to give money. And he says no, and then he gets talked. At this point, Mason says to Nicholas Cage, "I don't think that Hummel is a killer. I've seen it in his eyes. He's not going to go through with it." And uh, Hummel, if he gets pressured into it by all his men, who are very, very, as Alan Partridge would say, very cross and very right wing. 
and they want to launch a missile to get the, get their money. So Ed Harris reluctantly agrees to do it, but at the last minute, he pulls the missile into the sea. Yeah, it it seems they keep trying to humanise him uh-huh. in a way, which in a way that doesn't again doesn't pay off though. It's not like I suppose you know just making him a slightly more complicated character, but it it seems odd that they put that much effort into it, like uh, at the expense of all these other characters. Because like as you said, all his little underlings are like, "Go on, do it, boss. Yeah, cool, yeah. kill them all." Hmm. Um, considering that these guys were very noble in their intentions, ostensibly about thirty-five minutes ago. Hmm. <laughs> you know, the, now they're like absolutely happy to mow down FBI agents and soldiers and destroy civilians with a fucking chemical agent. Mm-hmm. But he says to the he says to his men, "Look, this mission's over. There's going to be no money. We're going to get we're going to get in helicopters and we're going to go somewhere else." But his men aren't happy with that. He says, "I'm not going to kill eighty thousand people. I'm not a fucking maniac." I mean, that's fair enough. I think that's a good that's that's a good compromise. Uh, but how did he think he was going to get away though? Oh, I, don't I think know. they like I can understand if they were all told they were going to get a million quid hmm. and also get away. That's one thing. But hmm. just getting away with no money I think I, I think they should have do his work have his workers unionised well it seems that, like they have they should have a union meeting yeah they actually have I think they should definitely talk to their to their union representative because that is absolutely false advertising of benefits well because Tony Todd aka Candyman he, he's kind of like the shop steward because he says right well I'm leaving you of your duty I'm going to take over because I'm yeah. mad and I'm going to blow up San Francisco <laughs> And then they have this kind of Mexican or Paraguayan standoff sort of thing where they all point guns at each other. Um, this maybe this is terrible. That could have been that could have been Tarantino, uh, yeah. And meanwhile, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage look through a little flap in the wall and watch them have this standoff, and then decide to just wait and see what happens. And then they all start shooting each other, and Ed Harris gets shot quite a few times. Cage goes off to get the last missile because they find out from Ed Harris where the last missile is. It's at the lower lighthouse. The cage goes off to get that while Connery engages in some uh, gunfighting. And this is where we get the greatest scene in possibly cinema history. Where Nicolas Cage meets Tony Todd, a.k.a. the Candyman. And they have that big fight by the rocket after he's disarmed it. Or taken the guy's yeah. chip out. And then he um, says to him, um, Hey, do you like the song Rocket Band by Elton John? Um, again, it's foreshadowed. I mean, you just you feel the beauty of the <laughs> script whenever. Because I didn't know. I didn't spot that that was Rocketman earlier. Mm. So I just thought that this was just a lovely... It's actually better if he just brings it up out of nowhere, yeah. I think. But it does have a certain, you know, beautiful poetry. What uh, what uh, George Lucas used to call a sort of uh, a, poet, a poetic rhyme. He was always talking about poetic rhymes. Yeah. And all of the stuff about the Phantom Menace, mm. uh, which is just lifting stuff that happened in other films, but yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's actually... Con- I did not clock that he was... They were riding to Rocketman earlier. Yeah, but even so, riding to Rocketman. Uh, even yeah. so, it's still a non sequitur that's out of nowhere and, and it could possibly have yeah, been approved. Yeah, because Tony Todd, aka Candyman, he wasn't there. No, like it was like it was like oh, I get it. This is like the thing. It's a bit like do you, do you know in the Dark Knight they mm. deliver the term they deliver the phrase uh, keep our cards close to the chest twice, but it's by two characters who were not party to the other conversation. So oh. it's a treat for the it's a treat for the viewer, but. The people saying it online, they're not making a reference to anything, but they're delivering the line as if they are. Huh. You know, someone else in a separate place in this film made this, said this thing, which I was not aware of, but I'm delivering it as if I do know. Yeah. Anyway. But he says, uh, he, the Tony Todd, a.k.a. Candyman, says something like, I don't like shit music, 
or pussy <laughs> music or something like that. And then Goodspeed says, well, I only say it because it's you. You're the rocket man. And then he presses fire on the rocket and it punches Tony Todd in the stomach so hard that he flies off with the rocket. It's unbelievable. That's the most ridiculous uh, thing I've ever seen. I, I, <laughs> I only ask because it's you. You're the rocket man. I think we got started off on the wrong foot. Stan Goodspeed, FBI. Uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass shit. Oh, you don't. Well, I only bring it up because uh, it's you. You're the rocket man. My name's Jason Fleming. For more than my past podcast, will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people. People who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turned their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. so stupid uh, but like it's just great it's kind of like uh, you know you occasionally see those things or, or someone like a very good illustrator illustrates their 13 year old or 10 year old's wacky ideas in a comic or yeah, something yeah um axe cop was one that was very good yeah you know, there's, there's a few different people who've done it um 
and there's a lot of not quite as good ones but uh, this is what it's this is kind of like yeah and then they find out about the aliens in Roswell but then meanwhile someone shoots a rocket but it goes right in his tummy um, <laughs> like it's really free association uh, and also by the way this is a guy who was again like in the world of the film I think it's most of it is in real time it's mm. so, like 45 minutes ago this guy was vomiting in the sink at the thought of like holding a gun. Yeah, you know what I mean. It doesn't, make, and he's blasting literal rockets. War changes a man. War, yeah. Forty-five minutes of war changes. I mean, a man. You, you think about it. Platoon took nearly two and a half hours to do this. Yeah, that's the, true. The rock's done it in forty minutes. Yeah, I mean PTSD from all of those guys. Hmm. Um, they must be just through the roof, like that guy who had a rocket go through his belly. Yeah. So they've disarmed the last bomb. Uh, meanwhile, there's the last guy who keeps chasing Stanley around. He's like the last vestige of um, of, the, of the militia. Of the militia, yeah. And and he gets the uh, exciting privilege of having to bite down on one of these gas canister things. I mean, I remember that from a kid, and uh, remember thinking that it was probably felt like one of those dishwater dishwasher tablets that you're not allowed to yeah. eat, but which you're supposed to what americans call tide pods tide pods yeah um and then a few years ago it became a bit of a meme that people were eating tide pods as mm. a sort of prank um a hilarious prank on your own uh gut health i suppose mm. um but yeah i always remember thinking i wonder what that would taste like mm. um and rather than tasting like sarin gas whatever that tastes like or a nerve agent yeah. i just presumed it would taste like detergent but it turns um, you into a frog man it does turns you into toad of toad hall mm-hmm. um, and um, then yeah because Cage see, has been exposed to it he's been exposed to it which mm. means that he then has to interject himself with atrovine is that what yes that's it yeah and he, this is the point at which I I think I mentioned earlier where yeah. he's, he puts it in way too low yeah for it to be as hard I mean my knowledge of anatomical structures is not obviously uh, world class necessarily but I'm mm. pretty sure you'd have to put it near where your heart actually is mm. um but I then, in the director's commentary, again, this is why we love Nicolas Cage, mm. he went into quite a big thing. Well, what I, I didn't know how to do this. I, I was saying the words so much and doing the scene so much, it was like mulch. And I was like, I'm not believing this. I'm not believing it. So he's basically you know, calling out himself for not being able to realistically uh, deploy the most absurd art <laughs> of device on earth, which is that he's just shot a rocket into a man <laughs> then it's gone to another <laughs> punch up has eaten it who made that guy eat, bite down on a Tide Pod is now having to inject himself so it's the only thing I could go is oh, I, I realised that I could really get into it if I thought about Kabuki Theatre of Japan and uh, oh, that's what I did so you can see that there uh, so obviously he's referring to you know uh, seppuku obviously the mm-hmm. Japanese ritualistic suicide yeah. and if you watch it it's amazing you can totally see that he's yeah. down he's on his knees he's got it way too low for it to be his heart but which it may be a bit closer to when they do harikari they um, you know they disembowel themselves basically yeah. with a short knife uh, with a short katana and that's what he's fucking doing and yeah. you're like if he was if he was less affected he would he might he might be a slightly more serious actor mm. but if he was less sincere he wouldn't be nearly as good no. I think those two things work together is that he is not he's not he's so bloody earnest about all the choices that he makes and it comes across anytime he's interviewed he's not taking the piss he is not winking he is not doing uh, over the top phoned in performance because 
At least not yet, anyway. I'm sure he has done at some point in his career. You see mm. some of the movies that come out under his name, and you're like, Jesus, when did you make that? Yeah. But at this point, he's doing this because he thought this would be a weird choice, and I like weird choices. Rather than just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just do the, the mad one. I'll just do my mad Nicolas Cage voice. Mm. Here you can see he was literally channeling, uh, you know, Edo period Japanese <laughs> <laughs> theatricality. What was he it's channeling amazing. when he said, I, I, I only say it because that's you, you're the rocket man? Um, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, okay, okay, yeah. good. Um, so uh, meanwhile, these these jets are on the way to, to bomb the island with this special plasma or something. Yeah, like that also space again, like. But that also again another thing is like overkill. Like they're mm. surely that's going to have a lot of what they call splashback because like are the hostages safe at this point? Yeah, apparently. Well, they're still in cells, aren't the prison cells, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, safest place to be, I suppose, if you're going to blow up a prison. Yeah, in, inside it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then Nicholas Cage lets off. The, he suddenly has uh, again. This is Michael Bay showing not you know telling not showing. We suddenly have this flash uh, oral flashback of someone saying, "I remember, shine the flares in the air if everything's all right." Yeah, I I needed that uh, <laughs> reminder uh, because it didn't seem to make any sense what mm. he was doing. Mm. Um, because I can't remember someone saying that in the movie. No, I couldn't either actually. Do you think maybe they put in the flashback, but they didn't put in the the actual? I think that's uh, what happened. Foreshadowing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I I respect them very much if they did that. Actually, that'd be quite sweet. So he shows the flares off, and then he gets a radio call from William Forsyth and uh, John Spencer. Acting explosion. Uh, Womack, <laughs> and says, "How are the? I, you know, everything's fine now. How are the hostages?" And he says, "Yeah, they're all fine." And they say, "What about Mason?" And he says, and he looks at Sean Connery, and then looks back and says. He's dead. Yeah. So they're obviously setting it up that basically this guy knows it's honor among fellow sort of warriors. Oh. Uh, this guy deserves to go. But does he know at this stage, does Cage know that Mason's innocent? Have they had, they've had that interaction already. Or they had yeah, I think so. But also he saw Womack screw, um, rip up his pardon. So he oh, knows he's true. going back to jail. And he says to him, uh, Womack screwed up your pardon. And he went, yeah, I thought he would. Yeah, I screw your pardon. That's yeah, what he said. I screw your pardon. And that's when he says, um, I've never in my life, he says, I've never had to say thank you, but thank you. That seems unlikely. Yeah, it does. I might have misquoted I mean, him. I mean, I mean, they're really they're really coming all action on Glasgow. Glaswegians are a polite people. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So he says to him, well, by the way, if you're going to go on holiday... You should think about going to Fort Walton in Kansas. And Goodspeed was like, "Oh, we want to go to Honolulu." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. Go to Fort Walton in Kansas, under the right leg of the first pew in a church." I think he just says a church. And then, and then he doesn't give him any more details, though. No, he gives him a note. Um, I, I don't know if that would be strong enough for me to take him up and I'd be like that seems like a shithole I'm sorry man but we actually we got our flights booked and everything yeah. so um, thanks for that amazing uh, recommendation but unless you've got more information for me like for all I know like he just he owns a guest house nearby or something he knows he's going to have to stay there I always I, I always prefer whenever I mean here I'm complaining about this film not giving us enough enough information but uh, I don't know if that was a strong enough recommendation for me for him to like sideline all of his marriage fans. I mean, your woman didn't seem that happy ready to be answering to Stanley Goodspeed anyway. Mm. Uh, so how he convinced her to go to get married in a tiny little 
ramshackle church in the middle what appears to be in the middle of like the site of a nuclear explosion yes. <laughs> in Kansas um, so is that the very next scene then you see well no first you, you get Womack and William Forsyth come and, and they say um, William Forsyth comes to him first and says what happened to Mason and he says where's his body and he says oh he was totally vaporised and then Womack just comes stumbling in and goes where's that bastard's body I want to see it <laughs> and, then, and then him and William Forsyth go sorry sir he was vaporised and then Womack just out of character is like oh wow can that happen <laughs> he's like yeah yeah it can and he's like oh well shit okay bye <laughs> it's amazing it's a little, it's in the same uh, tone as that moment where Nicholas Cage says this is the most awful thing I've ever seen yeah <laughs> it's just people stop in the moment and say oh wow yeah that's, that's a bit rough <laughs> and then the next scene is him running out of a church as we mentioned earlier with a, a leg of a pew and jumping in the car and then saying to Cara his girlfriend or his wife now hey want to know what really killed JFK and I thought what do you mean what, what really killed JFK what was it was he have a headache yeah he and, got and, shot and, and also he hasn't got, he hasn't got to the microphone that talks about aliens at Roswell yeah obviously no, and also shouldn't you say who and not what oh so he says what okay, he says yeah, you want to know what really killed JFK coronavirus yeah <laughs> <laughs> a space gun Indigestion. Yeah. Just severe, it's a really so. weird choice. If you say, do you want to know who killed JFK? It's like, ah, yes, I do, but not what. Um, yeah, it's... Also, does she know what's going on? That seems like a very strange thing. She to... seems really into it. She's laughing and everything, and they drive off in their just-married car with um, a priest shaking even... his fist. I mean, I'm sure anybody would be interested in that from a... Oh, God, wow, look at all this information. But are we to believe that he's going to maybe blackmail the government with that stuff now? Why yeah. does he have it? I don't know. He's an FBI agent. He's What's the point of him blackmailing the government? There isn't like, one. He is, the, he is the government. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. I don't understand it. Um, it. It should have been like gold or something, like the location of buried gold. It's kind of like the national treasure, uh, like an early precursor to one of those films where basically he just goes around demolishing bits of old churches in the hopes of finding microfilms which explain yeah. what killed Kennedy. Exactly. That would make more sense. But anyway, we've reached the end of The Rock. Yeah, I did enjoy watching it, I yeah, have to say. I did. I, I, it was slow going at the start because I think all the things that we said, obviously, that it just does so much showing time, but you kind of just get sucked up into it, really, don't you? Mm. Um, and Nicolas Cage is so, so much value for money. I mean, as much as I, I did... I would be interested to see Arnold Schwarzenegger's version. I think an awful lot of the boilerplate uh, soullessness of the main story would kind of be more obvious if you didn't have such a strangely compelling lead performance. Mm, he's very naughty. Uh, very, very naughty. Um, and also just the, fa the fact that he's making such clear choices. I mm. mean, again, the, the constant references in the commentary to him, which he says completely straight-faced about, you know, we wanted to go this way, and they said absolutely not. <laughs> like, what did they turn down? So he gives some examples. He's like, I originally wanted to do this more uh, horny uh, or angry, uh, but uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer just said absolutely not. You can't do that. Uh, we tried it, but we threw it out. Um, or like constantly being told that like uh, test audiences were laughing mm. when they weren't supposed to be. So imagine actually coming out and saying that in public. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. But he comes off so earnest. I mean, the Michael Bay is also on the commentary and he's he's exactly what you expect he's very technical he's not particularly up himself or anything but certainly he seems to be quite dry he doesn't seem to get the 
he doesn't understand, I don't think he understands that his films are parodies of other films mm. and parodies of themselves really yeah um someone once said about rob liefeld the comic book artist that he he's someone who always wears a back backward cap and if you were ever to turn the backward cap on his head it would still be backwards <laughs> and that's what i get with michael bay he's like a double denim kind of a guy who operates in this on that frequency um of just just dumb enough to be understandable by everyone but never too dumb to be completely completely pointless yeah um just to be quite pointless yeah yeah. Also, this film is dedicated to the loving memory of Don Simpson. I noticed that, yes. Mm. Um, and if you'd have read anything about Don Simpson, <laughs> I don't think anyone particularly remembers him in a loving way. He sounds like a really horrible bloke. Really? I don't know very many stories about Don Simpson. He's mentioned quite a bit in the commentary, but I didn't really know much about him. Oh, really? Uh, there's a book called High Concept Oh yeah. about Don Simpson, which I highly recommend reading for anybody who's mildly interested in the man. I mean, he lived... A very full life and he didn't have much interest in being nice to women and Ooh. he was a ridiculous man that had so much plastic surgery and problems with weight and everything and he basically went out like Elvis he just lived in a complete excess and eventually died in the bathroom I believe um, mm. but yeah it's a very interesting story and him and Bruckheimer obviously had a string of hits, but this was the last film. I think they'd kind of fractured as a relationship by this point anyway, but this was the last film with his name on it. Oh, and he gets a lovely shout-out. Yeah. All right, so we've reached the point where I'm going to ask you some questions. Oh, please, fire away. Yeah, this is exciting. We didn't get to do this last time because we did Rawhead Rex. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't even remembered that. I was like, did I answer these before? Do I have to find out? Here we I go. need to clarify that I hadn't. Cause no, you definitely didn't. I remember because it wouldn't have worked with Rawhead Rex. <clears throat> so, um, Seamus, what's your favourite Bond film? Um, in terms of actually my favourite one, hmm. um, it's Casino Royale, I think. Okay. Yeah, in terms of one that's, when it's on, because I know other ones are kind of more classic, but in terms of if it's on, I'll watch the end, probably Casino Royale. Um, maybe just it's sort of novelty bias, because I still think of it as a quite a new one. Yeah, and what's your least favourite? Uh, least favorite. Oh, yeah, Die Another Day. Okay. I know it's a bit obvious, but it. I remember watching. I think I watched that in the cinema. Mm. I think I went. I, I think I saw that on a date, and it was. It's just so unbelievably insulting. Like every every part of it, it's just insulting to the intelligence. Yeah. Um. Do you you quite like it though? Because you love Pierce, but Pierce Brosnan, and you don't believe he ever he's ever done anything wrong. I I can make a case for it. It's very silly, but it's very Sunday afternoon watching it with your kids. Silly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean yes. DNA transplants, invisible mm. cars, mm -hmm. laser beams, surfing, surfing snow surfing like on, on, on the fuselage of a, of full, a the world's full fastest car, full Robocop suit for the baddie at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's. I do actually. Now that I'm describing it, it actually sounds pretty good. So it's more fun yeah. than Spectre. It is. Yeah. Uh, could you give me your best Bond? Uh, sorry. Can you give me your best made-up Bond film title? Yes, I've thought about this, and I think I'd go with Leave to Remain. Ah! Oh. Uh, so James Bond obviously has a cleaner, mm. and this is the only way he's... You'd imagine he'd be quite a, a right-wing guy, James Bond. Uh -huh. uh, so he, he's a Leave voter, uh, but he finds out then that, his, that Ludmilla, his cleaner, uh, is going to be deported, and she doesn't have Leave to Remain. And through the process of uh, mm. taking on the Fat Cats in Whitehall, uh, French industrialists and uh, other 
sort of people involved, Russian bots, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, he turns himself from being on the side of leave to remain. Ah. So the whole thing has a double meaning. And uh, it turns out that the baddie is EU Supergirl. Right. And, yeah. So I've actually been guilty of a little bit of foreshadowing myself. You have. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Bond is full of silly lady names such as Holly Goodhead, Plenty O'Toole and Penelope Smallbone. Can you give me your best Bond lady name? I've come up with a few of these in the past because I use them in different articles. Okay. I've always liked... Uh, uh, Thrusty Longlegs. Nice. Um, Jazzica Sexhenge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Paula Bra. Nice, nice. <laughs> and yeah. My favourite is probably Paula Bra. Paula Bra. I just think if you could do that, if you could do that completely, stone face. And annoyingly, when I've said this to people, they've thought, is it? Is there some sort of a double meaning that like Paula Bra? I think mm. that annoys me because it's not. It has to be just, just that her name is Paula Bra. <laughs> Um, so yeah I think that'd be a, she'd be such a good yeah that'd be a really good one I think okay uh, I won't ask the Q question because it was the rock um, but finally who would you have as James Bond next um, the weird thing about this is you always find out you always end up when you think about someone doing it you always end up that actors are way older than you think they are mm. uh, so I think at some point I, I was the only reason that everyone knows what age of Elba is is that you look him up and you're like oh shit he is too old to be Bond mm. um yeah, I think I think I see someone like um, someone like Riz Ahmed would be interesting. Hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's just a lot of the thoughts about making more modern or more diverse casting sort of seem sort of could be, you know, you don't want to be too wacky about it or just like do it for the sake of it. Hmm. But um, he's a really, really good actor. Yeah. But then how do you write around? It's, it's the thing that some people have actually mentioned from the other side of the debate, which is if you do not make Bond a very privileged white upper middle class man then an awful lot of his internal story doesn't make any sense anymore if you know mm. what I mean yeah, I if, he moves, if he moves through the world as a different character experiencing different things um, you know James Bond racism is a different character um, because you have to afford that person more uh more complex and nuanced than there is actually in the character so yes. it's, it's kind of weird sometimes if you if you try to go too far one way um that or um lenny kravitz's massive scarf lenny kravitz's massive scarf yeah are you familiar with lenny kravitz's I'm, massive I'm scarf? familiar with it i'm just saying you want the scarf to be james bond i think the scarf itself should be james bond yeah okay uh, uh, i'd go it's between that. that it's too yeah it's either that or rizamid hmm, okay all right. Well, Seamus, thank you so much for coming on to talk about The Rock. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, and thank you for being the best. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm off to go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> My wife is the prom queen. Really? Uh, so naughty. So naughty. Um, well, thank you so much, and I'll speak to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
you're a fan of all things geeky, you're going to love Concessions, a brand new podcast by comedian Matt Hunton and myself, Beck Hill, where we interview your favourite cult heroes at Comic-Cons all across the world. We've got stars from Star Wars, Harry Potter, The Walking Dead and more. Make sure you tune in soon to Concessions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.